What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Evening hours of Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. And Cardinals fans, it looks like the sell-off is back on for the St. Louis Cardinals. The series at Wrigley Field over the weekend, the four-gamer had to be a sweep in favor of the Cardinals to even consider the possibility of nixing plans to sell off assets at the trade deadline. Well, that didn't happen. The Cardinals won the first game and dropped each of the next three to solidify their standing as sellers. There are no questions anymore about it. The Cardinals are as good as done and out of this thing in the NL Central. And John Moselock and company will treat it that way at the deadline, and that is the right move for them to do it. And so that leads to the question of who is going to be moved. Who will be involved in this sell-off for the Cardinals and how different could the team look a week and a half from now as John Moselak looks to restructure, reorganize this roster in order to make a run at things in 2024. A more legitimate run than they were able to put together this season because, well, they just did not have the pitching. But as we know, the pitching is only going to get worse down the stretch of 2023 if you're trading away Jordan Montgomery, trading away Jack Flaherty and Jordan Hicks. So what do the Cardinals get back for those guys? I think that's critically important to figuring out what the pitching looks like for the rest of the year. But also, you're looking at internal options is the name of the game. And the Cardinals are getting one internal option back on Monday with Adam Wainwright, who has not pitched in weeks, coming right off of the IL, back onto the active roster with no rehab assignment to speak of. So we'll talk about that tonight as we prepare for Adam Wainwright's return to the mound for St. Louis on Monday night out in Arizona. And we also want to talk about tonight because this is going to be a trade deadline heavy podcast over the next few days and really the next eight days or so leading up to the MLB trade deadline. Wilson Contreras' name, for whatever reason, floating around as a guy who could be on the trading block, according to one national baseball reporter. We'll talk about that report and dive into some analysis on what that might mean for the Cardinals, if anything. Tonight on B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys for joining me as you have been throughout the month of July. It has been a fantastic month talking Cardinals baseball. And now we get into the nitty gritty. The trade deadline is just over a week away. The Cardinals are expected to be one of the more active teams in baseball at this deadline. Maybe not in a way that's going to help them for 2023. But the idea being that for next season, when Bush Stadium is rocking and rolling in April, that 2023 is but a blip on the radar toward John Moselock and the St. Louis Cardinals trying to find their way back to October success and playoff relevance. So whether they can do it or not remains to be seen, but we'll be talking about it here on B-Shape Daily and the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel. I write for KMOV in St. Louis and do a daily podcast called B-Shape Daily. Would love to have you subscribe to the YouTube channel to make sure you're caught up with all of our Cardinals content. That will come out in the weeks ahead, especially these next couple of weeks going to be real important as the Cardinals look to reshape their roster. It's basically phase one of a two-phase process here, the second being what John Moselock and company will do over the winter, sign some free agent pitchers, perhaps that's going to have to be part of the equation. But right now, I think you lay the foundation, you set the groundwork for what will then need to be done in the offseason where the gaps suddenly get filled in. That's what the next week to 10 days are for John Moselock and the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll be talking about it here on B-Shape Daily. Make sure you guys are following on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, the B-Shape Daily podcast, and subscribe. Click that button on the YouTube channel. Hit like on this video and comment below with what you think the Cardinals need to do during this MLB trade deadline lead up as it's going to be hot and heavy, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Before we get out of here tonight, we'll talk about Adam Wainwright and our expectations for him coming into his next start on Monday, fresh off the IL, has not been activated yet, but that's a move that will be expected ahead of his start, which has been announced for Monday night out in Arizona, back on the semi-West Coast. So we'll get some late-night baseball once again back here in St. Louis. We'll talk about that before we get going, but I want to start with the Wilson Contreras stuff. We could wax poetic about the Cardinals' last couple of losses. No podcast Saturday night into Sunday morning, and then again on Sunday, the Cardinals losing to the Cubs. Not a competitive game by any means on Sunday, with Jordan Montgomery 
struggling at Wrigley Field, which has been uh, a, a commonplace situation for him. I believe his last time he pitched there wasn't all that good either. Dylan Carlson, a couple of RBIs for the Cardinals. That's all they end up getting in the game. 7-2, to two, they lose to the Cubs on Sunday. We might intersperse some information and some thoughts about the series as we go along, but I want to get right to it when it comes to trade deadline talk because that is what is most important at this point. Wilson Contreras is going to be the focus tonight. I think the plan for Monday, obviously, we'll recap Adam Wainwright's start Monday night, but I also want to talk about Paul DeYoung, so be looking forward to that. A lot of Cardinals fans for years have said, Cardinals should trade Paul DeYoung. I don't know that it's ever been too realistic in past years, but there is, I think, a scenario where it might make sense right now, but is it something that's actually doable? We'll talk about that on Monday night's podcast, which you'll be able to hear Tuesday morning. These things tend to get recorded late at night, but I want to talk Wilson Contreras now because Bob Nightingale of USA Today made some headlines over the weekend, if you can say that. But he certainly caught the attention of some Cardinals fans, I think, when he listed Wilson Contreras among the Cardinals players on the trade block. Let's actually first talk about specifically what this is. A lot of people caught on to this from, I believe, Sunday morning early. Bob Nightingale posted this article at USA Today. Ten biggest questions for next week's MLB trade deadline. The name of the article. And within... He posts a couple of things relevant to Cardinals fans. Number six on Bob Nightingale's list. The Cardinals are suddenly starting to win after John Mozeliak announced they're selling. Will they abruptly change their mind? And the answer to that is no. And Bob agreed with that. Didn't even have the luxury to know about the Cardinals loss on Sunday before writing this. I had said going into the weekend, listen, if the Cardinals sweep the Cubs at Wrigley, you don't ignore that. You take the sign from the universe, the sign from Wrigley itself, and say, hey, maybe this means something. Maybe the Cardinals should be in this for the long haul and should reconsider their position as sellers of the deadline. But that didn't happen, folks. The Cardinals won the first game. The second game, we feel like Ron Culpa had some culpability in making sure the Cubs got that W. But then Saturday and Sunday, just the Cardinals were not able to get the job done. Couldn't get the pitching on either day. Miles Michaelis, not great in Saturday's game. Sunday, the same thing for Jordan Montgomery. So, wasn't meant to be. Got some good offensive performances. Nolan Gorman had a nice weekend. Lars Newbar looking pretty solid as well. But up and down the lineup, it's just not enough when you have the pitching that the Cardinals had on Saturday, Sunday, giving up a combined 15 runs over the final two games there in Chicago. This Cardinals team, it's just not cut out for 2023, unfortunately. We've known that, I think, for some time in our heart of hearts. It's kind of difficult to admit, especially on the heels of a winning streak, the way the Cardinals had put together. But it's just reality at this point that it's not meant to be. And so that was basically the thought process from Bob Nightingale, who said, too little, too late. The Cardinals will be looking to sell off guys like Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Ryan Helsley, listed along with Jordan Hicks as a possibility, which... With Helsley's injury, that's really tricky to me. I don't think the timing is going to work out. I would be surprised to see Helsley moved, but I also, if you you know, if he's valued not as a an injured commodity, but as a guy who's still a, a one of the top level closers in this game, then I think it's something that you have to consider because his salary is only going to continue to increase in arbitration. And year to year, I have long said relievers rather fickle in this game. And it makes sense to me to be able to capitalize on the value of a guy. But like I said, with the injury, Ryan Helsley's value might not be where it ought to be. And he is one guy that I would feel very comfortable if I'm a Cardinals fan with Ryan Helsley penciled into the 2024 bullpen, even at a little bit of a price increase on what his salary was this past season. But again, it'll all depend on what teams are willing to give you for the talent and the players that you have. Jordan Hicks, though, I would absolutely, I think that's the one guy on the roster if I was going to rank them, of all the short-term assets and the guys that you think ought to be on the move, Jordan Hicks has got to be number one with a bullet. There's nobody on this Cardinals team that has to be moved in the way that Jordan Hicks has to be moved. Because with Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty, I think both should be moved. But there is this kind of inkling in the back of your mind where you say, if those guys aren't traded, you think both probably could end up being qualifying offer guys, and at the very least, you get a draft pick back. Now, that's not what the Cardinals are looking for. They they have basically said the qualifying offer 
compensation pick is not something we're valuing at this point. We'd rather have players and prospects who are close to MLB level because if you get a draft pick in the middle of 2024, that guy is not going to make an impact on your team until 25, 26, probably 2027 at the earliest in most cases. Depend, even if it's a college guy, it's going to be a couple of years before you see that impact. And that's just not where the Cardinals are. They are trying to reset that window for 2024 and have that be a meaningful year in St. Louis. With Montgomery and Flaherty, though, at least you do have that. And, hey, if you give them the qualifying offer and for whatever reason they accept it, well, then you have a question answered about your 2024 rotation. I think either of those guys you'd be happy to bring back on a one-year deal. It just feels like very unlikely at this point that either would accept a qualifying offer. Maybe Flaherty would, depending on how his season unfolds, as kind of a prove-it to get that ERA down and and the long-term contract that he would want. Jordan Montgomery is not taking a QO, though, barring something unforeseen. But either way, to me, Jordan Hicks is the one guy you've got to make sure you trade and get value for because he would accept a qualifying offer, I would think. Closers don't make $20 million or $21 million, whatever that qualifying offer value is going to be. That would be very unlikely to see a relief pitcher turn that down, in my opinion. So you have to make sure you get something for him because you're not going to be able to offer him the qualifying offer knowing that he'd likely accept it, and you don't want to pay a reliever $20 million. I don't think the Cardinals should want to pay Jordan Hicks $40 million over three years or whatever the contract would end up being. I think you have to let Jordan Hicks go. Let's pretend they don't figure out a way to trade him, which would be a colossal failure, not because he's not a great pitcher, not because he's not a good Cardinal, none of that. This is all business sense, Brendan, right now. I'm, I'm bringing the business side of it. you got to take the thoughts and the opinions and the feelings out of it. Relief pitchers, long-term contracts, those don't mix for the St. Louis Cardinals. It has just not gone well to pay in free agency these high-dollar relievers over the course of history. And Jordan Hicks, I think, would be an example of a guy that you could at least see, and now this may be getting a little bit out of the business and more into the evaluation part, but you can at least see how Jordan Hicks, with the up-and-down nature of his history with the Cardinals, might be due for some bad seasons, might have some good seasons, but when you're paying for relievers on the open market with a guy off of his best season, which right now it looks like Jordan Hicks could end up having his best season. He's a closer. He's racking up saves. And the ERA continuing to drop. He's going to be very attractive, I think, on the open market as a guy who throws 103 and has the skill set that he has. You're paying sticker price. And I don't believe that that is in the benefit of the Cardinals for any reliever, even if it's a guy that's been with the team for as long as Jordan Hicks has. I just... As a general rule, don't think you're going to benefit long-term from paying sticker price for any relief pitcher. You have to find other ways to evaluate, develop, sign relievers to deals that are not a guy coming off of his best season. Does that mean you kind of go in the bargain bin and hope that you land somebody capable? Yeah, I mean, there's some risk involved in that, but I think it is the way to go. Quantity over quality when it comes to paying for relief pitching because sometimes the guy that you pick up and you think is just part of that quantity of guys that you're going after and you're spending less on, sometimes that guy's going to end up breaking out in ways that you maybe didn't expect. Now, that's part of the evaluation. They've got to be able to figure that out, which guys they can anticipate are going to have the good seasons and the good numbers and the good kind of repertoire and skill set to be able to anticipate those things. That's all part of the the scouting and the the, the personnel of the Cardinals organization. They've got to figure that out. But I do think the way to do it is by not throwing bags of money at the most highly sought relievers because a lot of times you're buying those guys at their peak, and if they replicate that peak, that's great for a year or two. But likely, with the fickle nature of relievers, you're not going to get the value and the benefit of that peak. They already did it, and you're going to find some rocky terrain now that they're on your team. So that's kind of my little long-winded speech about why, to me, Jordan Hicks is the one guy the Cardinals have got to move. Let me know your thoughts on the YouTube comment section if you agree or disagree with that take. Again, I think it's just a business-oriented take that I don't think you get anything for Jordan Hicks because I don't think it's I don't think you can necessarily give him a qualifying offer. You'll probably take it, and then you're paying more than you'd think you would value that role as. No relief pitcher, I think, should ever be worth $20 million until inflation gets way out of control, and then we'll have a different conversation. 
But let me know if you agree or disagree with that take, that the one guy that I don't think you can afford to hold on to through the trade deadline is Jordan Hicks. And again, is that punting on 2023? It is, but that's what the Cardinals' stated goal is, that they are punting on this season. They're going to try to win as many games as they can despite selling off three of their most important pitchers at the deadline, but that's just the nature of it. I think you still have to go through and sell those guys, even if it doesn't feel good in the short term. And that was getting back to the point of this entire thing, part of what Bob Nightingale had to say in his 10 questions article. He also mentioned by name infielders Tommy Eben and Paul Young could be gone. I think those guys are in decidedly different categories. And Tommy right now still on the injured list with the wrist that has not been very responsive to his treatment plan so far, although he's trying to swing a bat here soon. So we'll kind of see what that looks like. Also listing outfielders Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill saying those two better not send out their laundry either. So a number of guys could move potentially. You, names you don't see are Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman. Bob Nightingale says they'll keep infield cornerstones, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, which of course we already know that. Same for Jordan Walker and Lars Newpar, which we already have discussed at length. Try to build around those guys this winter and hope that they're back to the Cardinal way for 2024. That's Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Now, the names he doesn't say or write in anywhere in this article, I don't believe, Nolan Gorman, Brennan Donovan, doesn't list them in the category of untouchable, but also doesn't say they're guys that are going to be made available. My guess would be Donovan not moved. I'm thinking Gorman playing his way back into not being moved, although this is kind of what we expect of Nolan Gorman, to have the hot streaks and then to have the lulls. Do the Cardinals decide to capitalize on one of the hot streaks had another home run, had a really big weekend, up to 20 home runs, I believe, now on the season. Do the Cardinals look to capitalize on that and sell him for a bona fide starting pitcher? I don't know. It would take a lot of gumption to do it. Is it the right move? Is it the wrong move? I don't really think definitively I can answer that question, but I am just evaluating from afar. When we talk about, because I've seen this a lot from Cardinals fans, people say, why are you always discussing these kind of maybe dudes, these quad A kind of pitchers. Why is it that when we have these conversations about the Cardinals deadline, we get so fixated on a number of guys who have proven nothing in MLB and their numbers at AAA might be good, but even there they've got some issues. They maybe walk too many batters. And then when you get some of these pitchers into MLB, they've never done anything. It would feel like just getting more guys like Matthew Libertor, who Cardinals fans are rooting for, but realistically, what's Matthew Libertor done in MLB to live up to his prospect caliber, right? We haven't really seen that play out yet. So why is it that we're so eager? A lot of Cardinals fans have given me this question. I'm trying to kind of explain my way through this. Why are we so eager, it seems, to have the Cardinals trade away some of their short-term assets and bring in more guys who are question marks? It's a fair question, but I think you just have to be realistic about what the value of the player's is that the Cardinals are going to be putting on the block. In terms of the pitching and the guys that are rentals, the reason we say rental is because any team acquiring Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, they are renting them for two months, plus playoffs, whatever that ends up being. They don't get them for next year. With that in mind, none of these teams are going to give the farm for these players individually. Even if you package a starter with Jordan Hicks, I still think you got to be realistic about the return. They know it's two months of a guy coming into it. Where you can hit that sweet spot is a team that is in desperate need of pitching, but otherwise they have a really good roster and they're well up in the division standings. They know they're going to the playoffs and they're going to need the pitching to be able to get them even further when they get to October. And with the mindset that flags fly forever, sometimes you're going to have to give to get and you may have to take a risk as one of those contending teams that has a hole in their rotation or a hole in their bullpen to say, hey, this kid that we're going to trade for a Jordan Montgomery and a Jordan Hicks or a Jack Flaherty plus a Jordan Hicks or maybe just one of the three, this kid's got some talent and we may be giving up on him a little too early, but we don't have a lot of confidence that this guy can help us in August, in September, and October in a way that Jordan Montgomery could help us in August, September, October. And so those teams take a shot at what the Cardinals do have, which is a couple of reliable starting pitchers, today notwithstanding when it comes to Monty out uh, out at Wrigley, and a closing pitcher who has looked really, really sharp and could be, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to imagine Jordan Hicks in October 
doing the things he's doing and just being absolutely lethal for somebody. I absolutely could see that coming. And so these teams see it too, and they'll be willing to trade for the the pitching that the Cardinals have, these short-term arms. However, you've got to be realistic about the return. If it's a guy that's a bona fide ace, those teams are putting that guy in their rotation right now. They're not bothering to trade for Montgomery or Flaherty. They're putting that bona fide ace in their rotation rather than giving the Cardinals five or six years of that player for two months of the rental player that they have to offer up. So that's why we we say these names that sometimes you might Google them and they don't sound all too sexy. They've got some flaws. They've got some inconsistencies in their game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the bucket the Cardinals are going to be shopping in unless they do something really creative and something that would be painful if you're a fan of guys like Brendan Donovan or Lars Neupar or Nolan Gorman or even a Dylan Carlson could maybe be the type. Maybe a Tommy Edmond could be the type. Again, Bob Nightingale, for as much as people like to joke about him, the guy is is well well regarded and has sources in the industry. And so when he mentions Tommy Edmond's name a couple of times, I, I don't necessarily think it means everything, but I don't think it means nothing either. There are names that he doesn't mention. There are names that he does. And I'll, I'll tend to believe, even if you take it with a grain of salt, it's at least worth kind of keeping your eye on to say, all right, this group of position players, maybe Tommy Edmond is one that if the Cardinals can strike the right deal for a, a bona fide pitcher or at least somebody they think is on the cusp of becoming that guy, maybe Edmond is a consideration. But we don't really have a lot of intel on what other teams are going to want other than what we already expect. They're going to ask about Jordan Walker. The Cardinals are going to laugh. They're going to ask about Lars Nupar. The Cardinals are going to respectfully stifle a laugh and tell them no. And you may be saying, well, why are they so protective of Lars Nupar? That's not really the argument we're trying to get into right now. I appreciate Lars Nupar, and I think he's a really good player. The Cardinals are in on the guy is all you need to know. And so for functional purposes of evaluating this trade deadline— Lars Nupar, his involvement is almost definitely nil. The Cardinals just aren't going to go there, which then you have to go down the list and say, are they going to go the route of Brendan Donovan? I'm going to say the injury plays into it somewhat because I just don't imagine that a team could trade for a defensive utility ace. That's what a gold glove for his work everywhere on the diamond. Like he was the utility gold glover last year in the National League, but they don't know if he can throw or when he'll be able to. I'd like to think that would hamper his trade value because I don't think the Cardinals have any business trading him. And maybe they've already made up their minds they're not going to trade him, but we don't necessarily know for sure, right? That's You're going to hear reports. You're going to hear rumors. You're going to have to decipher the difference between the two. And you're also going to have to recognize that just because something is reported doesn't mean it's the only thing. That's just the thing that happened to get discovered by someone who could report it. It doesn't make the things we never find out about any less true. We just only are going to get the tip of the iceberg in terms of information at this trade deadline. So that's a good kind of lesson to keep in mind that just because you don't see something doesn't mean that it's not a plausibility. It's just that maybe there's been no intel one way or the other on a given player or trade or situation. Something to keep in mind. But guys like Nolan Gorman, I think, you know, we haven't really seen heads or tails of what the Cardinals would plan to do. I know John Moselak, though, and I know that it would be a very difficult trigger for him to pull to say that, hey, we've got this left-handed power bat that is literally pacing right now for 33, 35 home runs in the current season, but we'll trade him at this deadline. I mean, and he's 23 years old. I know that Nolan Gorman has got inconsistencies in his game But I hesitate to think that John Mozeliak and the way that he has valued talent over the years is going to be able to pull that trigger. All the signs point to him being more willing to make the Dylan Carlson chess move. Sacrifice the pawn. Is it fair that Dylan Carlson has been relegated to pawn status? No, I don't think that it is. But I definitely could see it being the case or maybe he finds the right deal for somebody ready to take a shot on Tyler O'Neill. I think the Yankees make so much sense with the offense that they don't have and as a result of leaning in on guys with just slugging ability like Giancarlo Stanton who can't really even play the outfield effectively. Tyler O'Neill, I mean, you'd say get you someone who does both because when he's right offensively, 
He's given you that power. He's giving you that speed element on the bases. But he's also a gold glove left fielder, and that's not something you can take away from him. Like, he's still that guy in left field. Don't put him in center field. The Yankees will be tempted to do it, I think, because they've had center field issues. Bader can't stay healthy, different things. I would put Tyler O'Neill in left field if I'm the New York Yankees and just say, hey, whatever he ends up being offensively, it's probably better than what we have now. And defensively, he can be an ace in left field. If I'm the Yankees, I'd rather have O'Neill than Carlson. But if I'm almost anybody else, and I can have a longer view of it to know that O'Neill's only got one more year left, has been injury-prone, has been having his own issues, versus Dylan Carlson, I still think at 24 years old, coming into his own, has several more years of team control remaining, can play a good defensive center field. For a lot of teams, I would be preferring Dylan Carlson and hoping that you see that next level of productivity against right-handed pitching emerge and people might say well he's had time why hasn't he done it yet it's a fair question but I would also say that he's 24 years old and certainly this year has been very herky-jerky inconsistent sporadic in the way that he has been given opportunities against right-handed pitching so if it was something that he was working to build upon in the offseason he's not really gotten the full opportunity to take that take those improvements and run with them so to speak But you guys know how I feel about Dylan Carlson. I'm just giving the mindset from the Cardinals to say that I really could see if they can't stomach the idea of trading from that middle infield glut and they're committed to Tommy Edmond maintaining a role in the outfield and maybe the same for Brendan Donovan being able to fill in there, they're not as concerned about how many outfielders they would have. And Dylan Carlson could be somebody on the block, as could Tyler O'Neill. It's a matter of do other teams value those guys or are the Cardinals to get the pitching that they really want going to have to cut into that middle infield group with guys like Gorman, Donovan, and Edmund. Going to be really interesting to see. And by the way, with a team like the Yankees who could use starting pitching and could use the position player help, and there may be other teams like this one, but for those teams, I think where I talk about creativity and the Cardinals getting something better than just a maybe at the deadline for their rotation, you could find an ace potentially, and maybe the Mariners match up this way as well, if you are trading one of those hitters, but also trading to a team that is in contention right now, and the only way they're looking to trade away a starting pitcher is if you can give them a starting pitcher back, which the Cardinals can do. They can give you Montgomery or Flaherty. It's just going to be, you'll have to figure out another way to fix your rotation in the offseason when it comes to 2024, because whichever guy they get will not be representative of the type of team control as the guy that they gave up to St. Louis. But maybe you're getting that team control in the form of a hitter and you're not losing a step in your rotation. And so at least for the short term. And so that might be the way the Cardinals can do something creatively, give up a position player. Also, it would have to be a two contending team. You give up that starting pitcher as a package deal and maybe get the starting pitcher that you're looking for as the Cardinals, all possibilities. But I want to get back into Bob Nightingale's, article because he talks about the talent available because number eight on Nightingale's list is how about the position players available at the deadline and he says this the Cardinals have the greatest array of talent available with outfielders Carlson and O'Neill infielders Tommy Ebbin and Paul DeYoung who's all these names have been mentioned already and Wilson Contreras he says and catcher Wilson Contreras on the block two well that's interesting and that's all he says it's not like he goes into a lot of detail about the Wilson Contreras thing. But he mentions it. He takes the time to actually mention it in the article, which I think is intriguing. But how intriguing is it really? Maybe not groundbreaking, right? The idea that the Cardinals would be willing to shop Contreras at this deadline should not be any sort of a surprise to folks who have been paying attention to this team all year. It kind of goes without saying at this point that the Cardinals would love a do-over on the Wilson Contreras contract. I think that's obvious. It's been a disaster. Not entirely Wilson Contreras' fault, and thankfully he's coming around offensively, which is a huge part of why the Cardinals brought him in, but another huge part of it was catching what he could do behind the plate. They needed somebody to take over for Yadier Molina, They just thought it would be as simple as sliding Wilson Contreras in there, washing their hands of the situation, 
yeah, that's a job well done. We fixed it. All good. And that would be it. That has not been it. It's not going to be it. There were flaws to Wilson Contreras' game as a catcher. Things that we did bring up in the lead-up to the Cardinals signing him. And by the way, once the Cardinals signed him, yeah, I was trying to look and say, listen, this guy, the personality is a fit. Can everything come together? Obviously, he's going to have to hit. But we were trying to look to the, the bright side for sure. And maybe could have been a little more critical. I'd have to go back and listen to everything that I said. But I do know this, leading up to the signing, I wrote an article for KMOV ranking the candidates, basically, for the Cardinals catcher opening. And I only listed five people, I, I'm pretty sure. Fifth and last on that list was Wilson Contreras. I thought he made the least sense of the options. Once they signed him, it was like, okay, this is the world the Cardinals are going to be living in. And so here's what I'll tell you. Worried about what that might look like in year three or four. I remember saying that at the time. I remember saying this could be one that fears down the road. The question is going to be, how long can he stick as a catcher? Because, and I went down the line and listed his his game logs. He hasn't been really a full-time catcher anyway. Spent a lot of time at DH in 2022 for the Cubs. If you're offensively the 800 OPS or whatever he had been for his career, that's an upgrade to the Cardinals lineup. But if you're having to stick it at DH during the declining years of Arenado and Goldschmidt, it's going to be a problem. And that is basically what we said at the time. But I don't even think I envisioned the catching situation being as problematic as it's been as quickly as it's been. We're talking about year one at this point. Now, a lot of time and energy was spent five weeks into the season criticizing the Cardinals for their handling of the situation. Benching Wilson Contreras, first saying he's going to work out in the outfield, then saying, just kidding, no, he's not. But he's going to be the DH for the foreseeable future, not going to be used behind the plate. The whole cloak and dagger operation was very hush-hush. The Cardinals still to this day have never really fully gotten into all of that, but bits and pieces have come out. The reports about the pitch com and, and how he was calling for pitches that, in the words of Jack Flaherty, it seems, didn't make sense. He said, we're throwing pitches that don't make sense. It turns out that maybe some of that was pitch com related because Contreras was calling pitches those guys didn't throw or didn't throw often, whatever the case was. There was some weirdness with the pitch com. Michael Kay's report was kind of the first thing to shed light on that. The Cardinals had kept everything pretty buttoned up. But what I said at the time and still maintain is that the issues of Wilson Contreras that we're seeing over the course of the full season, I think are isolated and separate in many ways from that entire debacle earlier in the year where the Cardinals really should still shoulder the blame for a lot of that to me. And obviously the front office shoulders the responsibility of the contract. I guess we wouldn't call it blame unless we said for sure it was a bad contract. And like I said previously, the Cardinals could still end up getting value out of that contract with Wilson Contreras. But what would have to happen to make that the case? He would have to be almost like an MVP level DH. He would have to be out of his mind offensively for the full year, every year to justify the deal. And I said, that is very unlikely and a lot to ask of anybody. Even for a great hitter, it's a lot to ask of a guy because all of your value has to be derived from what you do at the plate. For a contract that was expected to be a pretty hefty even split with regard to your value proposition. He's going to hit. That's going to be a big important part of it, but he's also going to fill a key role, nurturing the pitching staff, being the shepherd back there, handling this group the best that he can in, in the way that Yadier Molina did, right? He's going to be Yadier Molina, but just not quite as good. But it's night and day. I mean, it's not it's not fair to ask a guy to be something that he really had limited exposure to what that meant and to just expect that day one he's going to come in and be that dude. And the Cardinals, we talked a lot about, really didn't know what that meant to the full extent. I don't think, because if they did, they'd have done a better job of telling Wilson Contreras what those expectations are instead of having to go back over it five weeks into a season after you've had a full spring training. And yes, we talk a lot about the World Baseball Classic being a factor. Didn't have a lot of your pitchers there. Many of those guys weren't in spring training camp for the full time because of the WBC. Wilson was there. He made a point to 
not pursue the opportunity with Venezuela, his national team, and to make sure he was going to be there in camp. That was a priority for him. I asked John Mozeliak about this in Jupiter, and he said it was something that Wilson Contreras came up with on his own, Was not did not have to be poked or prodded or asked or pleaded or begged or anything like that to forego the WBC. He said he felt it was important to be there. Whether all that's true, I don't know. They could have told him before they signed him, hey, look, WBC is not in the cards for you. You're cool with that? Yes, okay. I have no idea, but that's what that's what Moe told me, is that, no, it was his own thing, and they weren't going to keep him from going necessarily, but they're glad they that he made the decision that he did, which I go back to and think, that maybe should have been the sign right there. Maybe, again, that was just Mo kind of blowing smoke and it wasn't true that they would have said, hey, no, you have to be in camp. It sounds nice to tell a guy we're not going to keep you from going, so maybe that's what they said. But if that's really the truth, is they wouldn't have kept him, that shows clearly a a misunderestimation, which is not a word, but it would show completely the way that the Cardinals did not fully realize the scope of Yadier Molina's role and how it just wouldn't have been possible to do what they were asking Wilson Contreras to do without him being there in camp the entire time because he ended up being there the entire time and he still didn't get it right. But then I think about Mo talking about all the guys at the WBC that they had. They didn't tell any of those guys not to go, right? They they told everybody they can kind of do it, do best what they felt was best. And in retrospect, I think they would do it differently but it's just so interesting. You can't have it one way and then kind of be championing the WBC and having all your players go, but then turn around and when it when the season combusts on you, say, well, the WBC really hurt us. That was the decision you had a chance to make. I don't think I'm going to be, I don't want to be the champion of that because I wasn't saying it at the time. I thought it was, you know, I, nobody thought this Cardinals season would unfold this way and maybe the front office was the same way. But when it does happen the way that it did, that's something that you can't turn around and blame if you had full control over dictating some of that. And you could have anticipated to say, let's have our pitchers in camp if we can, or at least to let them know like, Hey, we'd like to have you here. And ultimately there are certain guys that, that did have adverse effects because of it. Hennessy's Cabrera did not start the season on the team on the St. Louis team. And now he's not on it at all. So those guys made their own personal career decisions and, Ultimately, I think it hindered some of them, but in general, it definitely hindered the team. But I just think about the different things that are now sort of being used as excusing away, and maybe not excusing away because Mozilla has acknowledged that they messed up and that they did not have this team prepared the way that it needed to be through roster building or preparation or whatever the combination of factors has been to compete the way that they needed to, obviously, because they've lost a lot of games and now they're sellers. So maybe they're not trying to excuse it away, but I don't like certain things being used as excuses when they were totally within your control if you wanted to. So that's kind of a roundabout way to explain why the early season weirdness with Contreras being benched, obviously his preparation and his execution was lacking, so he's got to own for that. But the Cardinals, I think, still, even though we're going to say long-term Contreras, there are concerns, there are concerns that have him on the quote-unquote trade block at this point. But I still pin a lot of what happened earlier in the season on the Cardinals because that was their own lack of preparation and execution to know, here's where we want Contreras to be. If he's not here, we got to prioritize that before May 5th or whatever it was that they finally pulled the plug and, and took a step back to try and figure things out. Is that partially Adam Wainwright not being around and then when he gets back, He's the one that recognizes, oh, goodness, this is not what it needs to be. we got to pause here. I don't know the ins and outs exactly of what went down, but clearly they needed to have prioritized things more quickly and been more proactive than they were, and I blame the Cardinals for that. Now, that being said, the separate issue of where Contreras is at this point, at least in the tangible stuff that you can see, it hasn't been good. And I don't know how to freaking explain it, other than maybe it's the simplest explanation of that's just who he is as a catcher defensively. The Cubs knew he had these limitations and and different things that hindered him behind the plate. Maybe that's just who he is. I feel like it shouldn't be that way because what I see a lot is lapses in concentration, just not being present for the moment to execute on the level that he needs to. I'm talking about the pass balls, the being on one knee to lead to a pass ball, the stabbing at a ball that you can catch otherwise if you're positioned properly 
And it's just those sorts of things that seem to mount over and over. The throw that's errant because it's it feels nice to try and make a dazzling play, but when you don't, the ball goes into center field and that costs you bases. The base running gaffes that's just your head not being in the game. Not, you know, he's he doesn't go and tag up on a clear ball that's going to be caught. And so he's around second base before realizing, oh, shoot, I should be back at first. It's too late by then. Like, those are the sorts of little things that we've harped on all year long when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals and kind of the downfall of this season. And he has, to my eyes, contributed to a lot of those, unfortunately, because I really like Wilson Contreras, and I know that they have jacked with his confidence in ways that maybe might make you second guess and do some things, but... A lot of the mistakes are, man, just have that confidence in yourself to get your head into that moment, and you don't make the same mistake if you're on top of those things. So it's kind of a a tricky spot of, I don't want to be overly critical because I do feel there are so many ways in which the Cardinals could have built this guy up more effectively than what they've done. At the same time, there does come a point where your performance is your performance, and I'm not talking about at the plate. I'm talking about everything else. It just has been lacking. And what's crazy about it is, at the beginning of the year, at the plate, there were struggles. And I think it's very easy to see how those would have taken place because all of this other stuff was going on and he did not feel comfortable. He has talked about losing his confidence and, and never feeling as low as he felt at times this season. But when things are going well for Wilson Contreras, he's still that emotional, passionate guy that can be a rallying force in your clubhouse, in your lineup. Those are positive characteristics. Those are the things that we marveled about when it came to Wilson Contreras in the offseason after the signing was announced. And when we did that, we weren't just blowing smoke. Guys, those are real things. Those are real characteristics, real attributes that Wilson Contreras brought to the table when they signed him, and he still does bring those things. And we're seeing at the plate, he's had a great July. Look at the numbers. He's done a great job. Now I should mention he's dealing with the hip injury. We don't exactly know how long-term that's going to be. Maybe that would tank anything when it comes to uh, trade deadline chatter as, as it pertains to Wilson Contreras regardless, but I also think we're not going to see Wilson Contreras dealt is the bottom line of what I'm trying to get at here. There is the difference between Bob Nightingale or anybody writing that the Cardinals are open to trading Wilson Contreras at the deadline and believing that such a deal would take place three and a half, four months after the Cardinals signed him to a five-year contract worth $87.5 million. I can't fathom that he's got trade value with the way this season is gone. The way that any Wilson Contreras deal, especially if it happens at the deadline, but I think even more so, not more so, but it's more realistic to see a trade in the offseason if there would be a team that could sit back and say, here's the circumstance under which adding Wilson Contreras would make sense for us, and the Cardinals would be able to, to execute that. You're talking about the Cardinals eating a significant portion of money. And I think even though the signing just happened a number of months ago, I think the Cardinals would be willing to do it because they realize that they jumped the gun and it's not even entirely about Wilson Contreras. It's almost just as much about Avon Herrera and just totally not seeing what they, what they had in Avon Herrera. I guess like he's looking like a very competent MLB catcher and he's got skills offensively and he's free. Like, he's 570000 or whatever they've got the MLB minimum set at these days. That's Yvonne Herrera for the next three years. And then beyond that, you're into arbitration. Like, you could have had your catcher question answered between Yvonne Herrera and Andrew Kisner. And I talked about it in the offseason and said there are other options. This is why Wilson Contreras is number five on my list out of five potential candidates. Because you could go the Christian Vasquez route. You could go the Tucker Barnhart route. You could go the free agent catcher that costs you just a couple mil to pair with Andrew Kisner and potentially see a revival out of Ivan Herrera after they, they did not like what they saw from him in the cup of coffee last year. But you know what? They were used to Yadier Molina at the time, and I'll bet you Ivan Herrera at 22 years old or whatever he was last season, I'll bet you his preparation and the way he goes about his business, not as good as Yadier Molina, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer. Yeah, Von Herrera is now 23 years old. So probably 22 years old last year when he was having that cup of coffee and the Cardinals went, oh, we don't like that. We're going to have to bring up Austin Romine to, to fill that role for now. And maybe Yvonne Herrera took that to heart, and that's why he's gotten so much more out of his game this year, has done it offensively and has done it behind the plate. Maybe that's what it was. He just needed that kick in the pants 
whatever the case might be. But the Cardinals have no foresight. It's like they are a squirrel out there going, oh, this is the thing. Now this is my new reality, and I have to react to it and adjust to it. We have to sign Wilson Contreras because we don't have the catching prospect that we thought we did. It's just like the attention span is nil for this team. They didn't have to overreact in the way that they did to this Wilson Contreras thing in the offseason. And they also did not have to overreact to the, the negotiations with Oakland. However long they ensued, it wasn't long enough. Like I said, we know some things from reports, but you're not always going to know everything from reports. But that doesn't mean those things didn't happen. Maybe Oakland and John Mozeliak went back and forth longer than we think from just saying, hey, Lars Newpart, Brendan Donovan. Mo says, no, you can pick two of these four players, including Gorman, Carlson, Yepes, and Burleson. And then that not coming to fruition based on the fact that the Cardinals end up going the Contreras route. We don't know how many different iterations of a potential deal was discussed. I just know the Cardinals didn't linger on it long enough because they went like the squirrel who's got to get the next thing and make sure it's covered. And it was reactionary, 100%. That's not as much of a reflection of Wilson Contreras as it is the Cardinals' front office. Because I think anybody that they were going to spend a lot of money on at that position was going to be reactionary to losing Yadier Molina. And they could have done it a trade route if they would have just been a little more patient. I don't know that for sure. But I do know that what they ended up getting, what the Oakland A's ended up getting for Sean Murphy, was not what they were asking from the St. Louis Cardinals. So somewhere along the line, there's a gap to be bridged. I think it was bridged by the fact that the Cardinals willingly took themselves out of the negotiations by signing a free agent catcher which then the Oakland A's lost a lot of leverage on the whole thing because the Cardinals were no longer a potential landing spot and the Atlanta Braves take advantage and are savvy and and do things as well as any organization. And they saw that and said, okay, we'd like a gold glove catcher who can OPS a thousand for us this year, which Sean Murphy, his numbers may have gone down since the All-Star break. I don't know. And we didn't necessarily have any reason to know that he would OPS 1,000 coming into the year. He's at 935, so he's taken a sharp decline since the All-Star break. He was at 999, and so he's gone into a little bit of a cold spell. But 935, that's still uh, still pretty good. But that is a career high for Sean Murphy. But nevertheless, the Cardinals were so reactionary in thinking that they had just a black hole at catcher after the departure of Yadier Molina, who was terrible last year. Like It's not like Yadier was upholding the standard he had held his entire career. He was in Puerto Rico watching basketball. His knees were killing him. He had done it for a long time. He gave what he had. And that that didn't end up being a whole lot in terms of productivity at the plate. Definitely still was mentoring those pitchers. Definitely was still doing it behind the plate and calling a great game. But Gadier Molina was already kind of a shell of what he had been during his worthy Hall of Fame career. I think I say worthy because he's not in it yet, but I think he will be and should be someday. But it's like the Cardinals were so reactionary and they they got the gist of it. Hey, we need a catcher with these characteristics to replace Yachty. They got like the helicopter view correct. But then when they got into the details of Wilson Contreras, they kind of realized he doesn't actually embody all these things defensively in the game calling way and in the just execution of his defensive game plan the way that we maybe hoped that he would. So, yes, I blame the Cardinals for a lot of it. I think it was a misstep to sign him in the first place. Did I say it at the time? No. But I did caution about what the different risks associated were. And so if you say I'm fraudulent because I didn't at the time say, terrible signing. When I see Wilson Contreras in the clubhouse, I'm going to tell him he's the worst and he shouldn't be here. Like, if that's what you expected me to do, then fine. I have no integrity and I should have done that. But I did say, you know, there are risks associated. And then I think whatever is like the 95th percentile of what those risks were. They played out almost immediately, which I didn't expect, and I don't know how many people necessarily did, but it's easy in hindsight now to go, yep, those things that you were kind of worried about, maybe circling the drain in the coming seasons, it happened right away, and the Cardinals should have anticipated it because it's their job to. But now that it's happened and they've got him and they probably have some buyer's remorse, where does it go from here? Well, it goes that his name lands in the trade block article that Bob Nightingale wrote, but realistically, I just don't think they can trade him at this deadline, regardless of the hip thing. Like maybe that makes it even tougher, but first of all, Contreras does have a no trade clause. And so he'd have to approve any deal. 
But I feel like if I'm Wilson Contreras and I have already kind of been spurned by the Chicago Cubs and the way that that relationship dissolved, I don't want to be somewhere that I'm not wanted. And so ultimately, I think he might be willing to waive that no trade at some point in the future. But to think that it would happen at this deadline feels a little bit sketch because I don't think anybody's trading for him to be a catcher in the middle of the season, knowing all the issues that he's had. It'd be nice to have a guy like him as like an emergency catcher, a third catcher on your roster, or even another catcher that has the ability to slide in. But he's normally going to be somebody that would DH, I would have to believe, because you'd be trading for him for what he does offensively. I just don't think there's a scenario out there that is going to exist at this trade deadline when it comes to Wilson Contreras. But would the Cardinals explore it? Absolutely, they'd be open to it. And I think if they're going to do it eventually, it's going to have to be eating a bunch of money is the way that it would happen. Because then maybe you can sell to a team and say, look, if he makes, what does he make a year? 17 million, 17 and a half million, 18 million, whatever it is. If he makes 18 million a year, but we'll pay 10 of it, and so you only owe him 8 or $9 million a season, let's say, the team that gets him. And he's basically a really solid DH and a guy that could catch if you needed to, but maybe he's not going to be your primary catcher, but he'll he'll hit and he'll be a middle-of-the-order bat and he'll kill the Cardinals and the Cubs anytime he plays against them because he'll be pissed forever about the way things have gone. There might be a team out there that would be on board with that, but at the deadline, I don't think it's... I don't think it's something that would happen. And if you're the Cardinals, is it worth it down the road to to pay 30 or $40 million for him to go away? Man, that's rough for a team that always touts the idea that you got to spend money smart and that's the way you can sustain success long-term. It would be ugly, but I think there is an element of it that if they don't do something like that, they're going to continue running into this until they do maybe make the decision to move him permanently to another position. And you can't put him in the outfield because that would be, I think, a nightmare defensively. He's not, like, quick and athletic necessarily in that regard. You've already got Jordan Walker that you're trying to work into the outfield. I just I think that would be a detriment to your team in terms of your pitching staff and just everything that would go into it. So you could put him at DH, but we talked about, and this was something that I was on top of initially, as Arenado and Goldschmidt age, you're going to devote 120 games of DH to Wilson Contreras in a season, you can't do that. It's too detrimental to the team. Even if he's hitting at like an 850 OPS, I mean, that's you'll take that, but the fact that his flexibility would be nil in your lineup, these are the reasons the Cardinals, I think, would absolutely consider a trade, and I think they'd absolutely be willing. They'd have to pay him to go away, and you're not getting anything back. But I, I don't think it's insane to think that at some point they would pursue that. I do think it is far-fetched to imagine it happening at this trade deadline. But yeah, I think the Cardinals would would definitely be interested in a do-over on the Contreras thing. And it's not so much because of him specifically, but it is, I think, when it comes to their expectations of what they wanted at the catcher position. And then just the thing they could have done, they could have had... Avon Herrera and Kisner split the role. They could have paid, you know, $3 million to a veteran and could have found out in the middle of the year that Herrera was better than that veteran and suddenly they'd be good to go for a while. But now they're not in that situation and they, their own panic and their own unwillingness to take a step back and breathe and properly evaluate the situation, I think, has led to it. That's not as much about Contreras as it is anything else with their own process that I think should be questioned at this point because when you think about player development and their ability to graduate these guys through the system and have them find success at the big league level, it's been shoddy, to say the least, in recent years. You found some successes. You found some diamonds in the rough. Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond come to mind. Jordan Walker is obviously at the big league level now. But it just hasn't been the treasure trove, I guess, that it used to be when it comes to the Memphis Mafia, right? You have not gotten a lot of contributions from Memphis this season. Realistically, you just the pipeline has kind of dried up a little bit, and the guys that you've kind of shuffled back and forth haven't been overwhelmingly impactful. You know, Alec Burleson's been here the whole year. That would be a guy that counts because he was he came up and was developed, but you know, his performance has been 
kind of mediocre as well. So really interesting to kind of dive into. Let me know what you think, though. I think this is some really interesting stuff when it comes to Wilson Contreras. Could you see a world in which the Cardinals actually don't see the five-year contract through with him and find him a soft landing spot within the next couple of years? I think it's certainly a possibility, but they have to kind of be careful with the direction forward because if that's something that you would even think about entertaining and trying to pull off in the offseason, you're not trading an Andrew Kisner or an Avon Herrera at this deadline, which I don't think they would do anyway, but you might say we're, we're desperate to find pitching. Maybe Herrera has value to somebody. If you do that, you kind of hamstring yourself to a Contreras situation that we already figured in year three, year four, year five might be a little bit questionable as he ages, but we found already in year one that that's where the Cardinals are with it. So let me know what you think. Comment below on YouTube. Make sure you guys are subscribed to this channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, and like this video while you're at it. Appreciate you guys for listening. Before we get out of here, though, want to touch on Adam Wainwright, who will be pitching for the Cardinals on Monday night against the Arizona Diamondbacks. What do we expect from Waino? I'm hoping that a reasonable expectation for Wainwright in his return after getting some rest would be to get back to sort of where he was earlier in the season where he had that stretch of going five innings, five and a third, and he'd give up three earned runs, four earned runs. But he was at least able to navigate five five and a third innings of a ball game and hang in there with big league hitters. Because for the last three outings that he had before going on the IL on July 4th was the last game that he pitched. He was not hanging in there with big league hitters. Three innings, seven earned runs in London. Inning in two-thirds, six earned against the Astros. And then at Miami on July 4, three and a third, seven runs, four earned, couple of home runs. It was ugly. ERA up to 7.66. The fact that he's not going on a rehab assignment should tell you that the Cardinals, they're just trying to see what they have in him. Winning is not a priority You'd throw him somewhere else if you thought that it mattered, <laughs> the results of the game mattered. You wouldn't just rush him right back into the rotation. You'd have him throw some innings at Memphis to see what that looks like. But the reality is the results don't matter, and it does matter to try and get Wainwright the opportunities to get to 200 wins. I mean, that might be one of the few things that Cardinals fans have to track the rest of the way. And to get him there, he's going to have to start pitching again soon because it could take a little while if the performance does not turn around. But I always said I'm going to be optimistic about Adam Wainwright. It was ugly for those three starts. There was a period of time during that where I thought, yeah, you just let him run out there and see what happens. But if there was a shoulder issue that was contributing to just the the flatness on all of his pitches, including the curveball, which you cannot get by as Adam Wainwright without a sharp curveball in 2023, maybe there is hope that he can turn things around and be somewhat competent in this rotation. It would be great to see Adam Wainwright just turn back the clock and be vintage for a couple of months because, first of all, you don't expect it based on what we've seen so far this year. I get it if you're skeptical. But they also could use it, right? They could use Adam Wainwright doing exactly that. They went and, and gritted their teeth through this bullpen kind of session every fifth day, using the using the bullpen day as best they could. But they could use Adam Wainwright getting back out there because we know that Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, likely gone within the next couple of weeks, and it's not going to look pretty what they leave behind. So if Adam Wainwright can fill one of those spots and do so effectively, which just means get through five or six innings a night, almost regardless of whether it's one, two runs, or it's more like three, four, five runs, if he can just spare the bullpen and get through some innings, I think that's going to be something that's valuable to the Cardinals and Ollie Marmel, and they'll let that happen. So... Let's hope to see Adam Wainwright get to finish on a high note. I think that's fair to say. I think Cardinals fans are rooting for the guy. There's no reason to to throw vitriol his way, by the way, if it doesn't go well. You don't need to be tagging him on Twitter or whatever Elon Musk is calling that website now. It's Adam Wainwright. You got a couple of months of him, and then you're never going to see him pitch again in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. So I would say Cardinals fans soak it in. It's a lost season. The weekend at Wrigley solidified that. They weren't able to keep the winning streak going. And as a result, I think you're going to see some changes over the next couple of weeks. But enjoy Adam Wainwright. Enjoy the trade deadline conversation. We'll continue to have them right here on B-Shape Daily and the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. Make sure you guys are subscribed everywhere you get your podcasts. 
and YouTube in particular. Appreciate you guys for joining me. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.